Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is the only park lodge in Olympic that we haven't stayed in. And the reason we haven't stayed there is because we have heard some negative reviews from friends of ours who have stayed there. So um, I guess... The hot springs are smelly. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a fact. That is a fact. I'm just saying it just so you know. It's, it's a sulfuric smell. That's what the smell thing is. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. It does smell bad. And you can't get away from it. <laughs> Depends on which way the winds are blowing. <laughs> and that's what I look for in a lodge, to sit in hot water with a bunch of strangers, smell rotten eggs, and then pay a couple hundred dollars for the pleasure. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Visiting Washington's three national parks takes a lot of planning and a lot of driving. But there's a route you can take that connects all three parks with a lot of other interesting stops along the way. Last week in part one of this series, we talked about the Cascade Loop Scenic Byway that takes you through the heart of North Cascades National Park. And today in part two, we're continuing on to Olympic and Mount Rainier. Travel with us on the journey as we take you on a road trip to mountain lakes, rainforests, coastal beaches, the state capital, and one very majestic active volcano. All this and more coming up next. Thanks to all of you who tuned in to last week's part one episode. It was our most downloaded episode ever. You know, I wish you wouldn't have told me that. It puts a lot of pressure on this episode. What do you mean, pressure? Well, now I'm going to be self-conscious about all the awkwardness, the upcoming inappropriate laughter, the mispronounced words. <laughs> you're, you're worried about the inappropriate laughter now in episode 111? <laughs> Let's just dive right in, Karen. Yes, I think that's a good idea. Okay, we're going to see some new things new today. Stuff. Yeah. We're going to take you to some new places, namely two of our incredible national parks here in Washington State, Olympic National Park and Mount Rainier National Park. That's right. So when we left you on the previous episode about the Cascade Loop, we were on Whidbey Island. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And we were on the ferry going back to Seattle, but that's not where we're picking up today because if you want to extend and go to Olympic and Mount Rainier, like we're talking about today, you would get the Coopville Ferry, which is in the middle-ish of Whidbey Island, and take that to Port Townsend. Right. Now, we mentioned the darling town of Coopville in our last episode. Coopville sits on the east side of the island, and the ferry terminal is on the west side of the island. So it's close, but it's not in the town. And this is the Coopville Ferry to Port Townsend. Now, we mentioned that if you're headed back to Seattle and you're taking the Clinton Ferry, you don't need reservations, but you do for this particular ferry. Yeah, for the ferry to Port Townsend, we have talked to all of our friends who live up on Whidbey Island, and they strongly recommend reservations even in the off-season. Right, because I guess these 
fairies are smaller. They have less than half the capacity of some of the other Washington State fairies, so they fill up very quickly. I looked online, and I'm sorry to report that it's very confusing. (laughs) It's confusing to me, and we live here. What it says is reservations are released two months before the season start date. Not the date that you want to go, but the season start date. Unfortunately, it doesn't say when the season start date is for summer. So if you want to take this ferry, you need to be getting on the Washington State Ferry website and checking for when those reservations go up. They just opened on March 6th, the spring sailings. So they are booking now through the end of June. But assuming you're going in July, August, or September, those are not available yet. But when they're available, you got to grab them. Okay, so the season. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The the season is when they feel like it's... (laughs) Time to start thinking about spring. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's very confusing. Right. But what's very definite is for this particular ferry, the minute they go up for grabs for the season, uh, they release 80% of the vehicle spots at that time. They save 20% for emergency vehicles and things like that. So there's a very tiny, tiny chance if you just show up, you could get on, but we certainly wouldn't advise that. What if you're going to drive this entire loop in an ambulance and then you're just emergency vehicle and you would get preferential treatment, might might want to run your lights when you get to the <laughs> Ferry dock. If you're, you're in looking at wait, if you're like in I'm an the idiot. <laughs> no, not like ambulance. no. You're just driving an ambulance. It's it's oh, an amb- it's there. Okay. You don't have any patience. I was going to. I thought you were <laughs> suggesting that our visitors would be ambulatory. No, no I think ambulatory <laughs> means that they can walk. In ambulatory <laughs> would mean that they're right. they're passengers in the back. No, I'm just saying. We should start a medical bar. podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because gonna- <laughs> we know as much about medicine as we do about the national parks. We could really start a podcast on any subject we want. We could. One more note about the ferry, and then we will move on. The crossing takes about 30 minutes, and you definitely want to arrive for your sailing time about 45 minutes early. So if you have, let's say, reservations for 11 a.m., you don't show up at 11 a.m. You want to show up around 10, 15. Unless you're driving a cop car and you have your lights on. Show up whenever you want. All right. So we got that out of the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're in Port Townsend now. And what, Karen, is Port Townsend known for? Well, Matt, it's known for its many Victorian buildings that were built in the 19th century. Port Townsend is a very charming town. There are restaurants, coffee shops, et cetera, but lots of uh, beautiful old homes, and even some of the downtown structures are these Victorian uh, buildings. So very pretty to see. And it's been a while since we've been to Port Townsend because when we go to Olympic National Park, we take a different ferry. We don't have to go all the way up to Whidbey over. We have been to Port Townsend a couple of times. I remember it being a cool place to visit, but it's not on our route. But it's definitely worth checking out from the ferry dock to Olympic National Park, you are going to take a left on Highway 20, and you're going to drive to Highway 101, and then you'll head west on 101. And you're pretty much going to stay on 101, looping in and around the park. Yeah, Highway 101 circles the park. Now, occasionally, the highway is inside the park, but mostly it's out of the park. And the good news is there aren't any of the park entrance fee booths along 101. So the traffic is usually moving at a pretty good pace. And all of the attractions in Olympic, all of the cool, diverse things you want to see, whether it be rainforests or the beaches or, you know, up in the mountains, these are all really spread out. So It's not as crowded as some of those parks like, you know, let's say Zion, where everyone is in Zion Canyon. This is a very spread out park. And so it helps kind of control the crowds. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, land wise, it's it's a big park, but you kind of have to get to it from little side roads all the way around it. Right. And this is a fee park. So even though there aren't any ticket booths along Highway 101, there are entrance fee booths to some of the attractions that you'll want to visit. And we'll talk about those in a minute as we get to them. But before we get to Port Angeles, which is where the main visitor center is, there's a great stop along the way. 
There is. Driving from Port Townsend to Port Angeles takes about an hour, but before you get to Port Angeles, about 12 miles before Port Angeles, is a very cool stop. And we just did this for the first time about two or three years ago, and that is the Dungeness Spit. It's near the town of Squim, which, from the way it's spelled, looks like it should be pronounced Sequim, but it's Squim. Yeah, and this is an interesting place that you can visit. You can actually go down and walk the spit. It's five miles out. So if you walk to the end and back, you've got a 10-mile hike there. It's this long, skinny sand spit that sticks out into the ocean. It's very cool. Now, this public land is part of the Dungeness National Wildlife Refuge. Also, at the end of the spit is the new Dungeness Lighthouse. And we didn't make it that far because it was a little stormy when we were there. But a lot of people hike all the way to the lighthouse, and it's staffed by volunteers. And if the, if there's somebody in there when you get out there, they will give you a tour of the lighthouse. And I think that would be fun to do. Yeah, I mean, you do, in, in all seriousness, you do have to look at the tide tables because, uh, well, when we, the last time we did it, it the wind was so fierce that we thought we were going to get blown into the ocean and die. Um, <laughs> but you have to be able to get all the way out there and back while the tide's low enough that you can do that without wading through the ocean. So that's kind of a little bit of a timing issue. Right. But to be fair, when we did it, it was actually wintertime and we had been snowshoeing with friends up at Hurricane Ridge. It was February, early February. And then on the way out of the park, we stopped and hiked this dungeon of spit. So even in February, it's doable if, you know, if it's not pouring rain and blasting wind. It does kind of suck in February when there's storms. So don't don't do it then. But in the summer when all of you folks are coming. We don't do it in the summer. We should. We wait till February. (laughs) Anyway, add that to your list. Even if you just go out a mile or so and stretch your legs, it's a very cool thing to do. All right, let's talk about Port Angeles, which is the the big town that sits right outside Olympic National Park. Yeah, that's your hub. That's where you have the restaurants and hotels and, and places. When we first visited Port Angeles 25 years ago, we were surprised by, I don't know, how run down it seemed for its location outside of the park. Yeah, but now there is definitely a lot of revitalization going on. There are new buildings, new restaurants, and you can see a change happening there for the better. Well, I will say that that the restaurants we've been to, the, the shops we've been to, even the places we've stayed have all been fantastic. So, I, yeah, I think it is being revitalized. Mm-hmm. So we'll mention a couple of places. Now, there are a lot of lodging choices in Port Angeles. There are lots of mom-and-pop motel-type places. We haven't stayed in any of those, so we can't recommend or not recommend them. But we usually stay in a hotel called the Olympic Lodge. Now, this is not a park lodge hotel, even though it sounds like it. It's it's a hotel hotel, but it's very nice. Yeah, it's it's great, and Mm -hmm. it's very convenient Mm -hmm. in in terms of distance to the visitor center, and particularly if you're going to go up the road that, that leads to Hurricane Ridge. It's not very far from that. Right. You know, maybe you have a full day of travel and this is where you stay the night before um, you go in and start exploring the park. It's a really good spot to kick off your trip. Also, we should note that there are some park lodges and campgrounds inside the park you can stay in if you prefer that. And who doesn't prefer staying inside the park? I mean, most yeah. people do, including yeah. us. Right. So, Yeah, some of the places uh, that we've been to eat that we really like, we like the Bar Hop Brewery. They have great pizza. They also have great beer. Wellies Ice Cream, uh, the Next Door Gastro Pub. That is a fantastic and very popular restaurant. And this is an odd one, but some of the best hamburgers we've ever had, Frugal's Hamburgers. It's a little drive-through, actually. Mm-hmm. And then as far as like outdoor gear, we always stop in at Brown's Outdoor Store. They have a really nice store. Yeah. But back to Frugal's for a minute. It's I guess it's a chain. Now, we don't have any in the Seattle area, but we've been to one in Kalispell, Montana, of all places. Um, and it reminds me of kind of an In-N-Out burger, really great hamburgers. Um, so a quick drive through if you're looking to pick up some food to take with you. Yeah, if you see a long backup of cars down 
the main drag of Port Angeles, and you're wondering why all these cars are stopped alongside the road, it's the lineup for Frugal. And that's how you know it's good. <laughs> all right. As you mentioned, Matt, the main park visitor center is in Port Angeles. And once you've stopped there and you've taken care of business, you get your stamp and you get your photo at the sign, you can leave Highway 101 and head up to Hurricane Ridge for some incredible views and some really great hiking trails. Yeah, both in the summer and winter, there are spectacular views any time of the year. Summertime, obviously, you're you're hiking the trails. But we've been up there also in the wintertime in snowshoes. Some of the best snowshoeing we've ever had It's up there on Hurricane Ridge. Yeah, you really don't want to miss Hurricane Ridge. Now, it's about a 17-mile drive from Port Angeles from that visitor center, and there is a park entrance fee booth along this drive. So just know, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of a backup there. Also, when you get to the top, there is a visitor center up there, and it has some food available like pre-made sandwiches and things like that. Snack-like. Chips, that kind of stuff. And it also has a gift shop where on our very first visit of our park trips in 2010, our, our first official visit, I forgot to bring my raincoat. And of course, it's raining. You know, we're in a park that has rainforest. And so I actually had to buy a raincoat there. That's right. So yeah, mm-hmm. th- there's some essentials up there if you've forgotten something. Right. Like your raincoat right. to a rainforest. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Okay, so if you then come back down that road, back to the visitor center, you're now in Port Angeles, and you're going to continue west on Highway 101. And not very far, I don't know, maybe, what, half an hour-ish, you get to Lake Crescent, and there, there's the Lake Crescent Logs, and there's some great hikes right around there. Right. Definitely pull into, when the sign says Lake Crescent Lodge, pull in that area, even if you don't have reservations, because there's a lot to see and do there. First of all, the lodge is is probably our favorite place to stay when we go, if we can get a reservation. Sits right on beautiful Lake Crescent. There are cabins you can stay in. Um, there's a little restaurant there. There are Adirondack chairs along the lake. It's absolutely beautiful. And it is very popular. You're going to have uh, a lot of other visitors with you, mm-hmm. but uh, that's fine. I mean, families go there and hang out on the sand beach and bring their lunch or whatever, and kids play in the water. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a family-oriented thing, but a spectacular scene. The lake's beautiful, mountains in the background. In this same area, when you pull off of 101, there is another parking lot that's closer to the lake dock. And there's a ranger station there called the Mount Storm King Ranger Station that never seems to be open. No. <laughs> Every time we have ever been there, it's, ever it's been, been closed. Open for 20 years. <laughs> right. It's this old historic like ranger house cabin looking thing that's very cool. And it's never open. But the reason I mention it is because there are some separate bathrooms there. And this is where the official trail starts to a great easy hike, Merry Mirror Falls, and then a more challenging hike that starts off on the same trailhead, which is Mount Storm King. Much more challenging yes. than Merry Mirror Falls. <laughs> this Mount Storm King is straight up, I mean, it's four miles round trip and over 2,000 feet elevation gain. So you're climbing 1,000 feet per mile. It's a strenuous hike. And then there are some ropes. There are some ropes just on the trail part. This is one of the few hikes we've ever done where you need ropes just to get up the trail. We're not talking about the rock scrambling part yet. So you get up there and then the last, I don't know, 100 feet, there's some rock scrambling and there's no place to sit at the very, very top of the trail. It's this little rock outcrop. So you're climbing over rocks and then you get to the top and you realize there's 10 people there and there's about four square feet to stand and then you then you have to scramble back down those rocks. Yeah, it's a very popular Instagram site. People like to get their photos taken up there. Uh, but this would only be for people who are not afraid of heights. I stopped when we got to the rope section and I waited for Matt to go up and then come back down again. But as I mentioned before, 
for Mary Mere Falls is easy. It's short. I think it's a mile or so. Um, very flat, great for families. And the thing I love about Mary Mere Falls is the way that the trail crew built this trail. There are wooden bridges. There are all kinds of just really cool things along the way to the falls. So don't miss this one. Even if it's just a brief stop to stretch your legs and hike to Mary Mere, you'll want to do this one. Okay, so that is the Lake Crescent area. And now if you're going to continue west on 101, the next attraction you're going to come to is the road that takes you up to Soul Duck Falls. The road goes back about 14 miles, and mm-hmm. there is an entrance kiosk there yes. where they're either going to take you know a fee or they're going to see your, your pass, your annual pass. Uh, but at the end of that road, there's a trailhead, and there's about a one-and-a-half-mile round-trip hike up to Solduck Falls. And that is one of the most unique waterfalls we have ever seen. It's hard to describe. You just have to go. I think this is definitely worth a stop. Again, the 1.5-mile round-trip hike is easy, great for families, and it is a spectacular waterfall, uh, Solduck Falls. It's also the trailhead if you're going to hike the Seven Lakes Basin, which we're not necessarily recommending because it's Really, it's a several-day thing. It's at least a couple of days of backpacking. We mention it only because we actually did that as a backpacking trip one time. The one where we almost didn't come back. We almost didn't come back. It's where yeah. you, you gave up on life. <laughs> Several times. <laughs> and I had to, had to talk you out of it. That's where you fell in the mud and refused to get back up. You just laid there in the mud. I could see it on your face that... This was the end. Resignation. You weren't getting up out of the mud. And you don't like mud. I don't. But my body had gone completely numb from the cold because, you know, we'd been out backpacking all day long. My backpack was so heavy that it was pinning me to the ground. And the the mud was like a suction cup. (laughs) You were ready for nature to take you, weren't you? I did give up on life for a brief second. I had to get you back up on your feet and get your backpack off you. And then (laughs) I made you some warm soup in our jet boil. And yeah. And and then about two years later, uh, we were able to laugh about it. (laughs) That's right. By the way, all of that is in our Olympic National Park episode, which is episode number 19. So if you want to hear about that particular event and a lot more detail about other things to do inside Olympic National Park, tune into that episode. Also in this area is the Soul Duck Hot Springs Resort, (laughs) which we have not stayed at. Now, that is the only park lodge in Olympic that we haven't stayed in. And the reason we haven't stayed there is because we have heard some negative reviews from people that we know from friends of ours who have stayed there. So, you know, everyone's experiences in these lodges are different. So, we're not recommending it, and we are not telling you to avoid it. It's there. You'll pass by it, um, I guess. The hot springs are smelly. Okay. <laughs> that's 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 a fact. That is a fact. I'm just <laughs> saying it just so you know. It's, it's a sulfuric smell. That's what the smell thing is. But it's hot spring, right? I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. It does smell bad. And you can't get away from it. <laughs> Depends on which way the winds are blowing. And that's what I look for in a lodge, to sit in hot water with a bunch of strangers, smell rotten eggs, and then pay a couple hundred dollars for the pleasure. All right. Enough of that silliness. Anyway, read the reviews online and then make your own call because we can't speak from experience on that one. Okay. So taking that road back, the 14 miles back to Highway 101, if you continue west, then you're going to kind of start edging your way a little bit south. The next town you're going to come to is Forks, Washington. And just to give you an idea, from Port Angeles to Forks along Highway 101 is 56 miles, a little over an hour's drive, if you don't make any of the stops that we just mentioned. So Forks is, I don't know, what is just like an old logging town. Yes, it was originally the land of the Quileute Indian people and their ancestors for thousands of years, and then fur trappers settled in the area in the 1870s. But by the 1920s, Forks became the logging capital of the world when the railroad line was completed, and that allowed them to ship timber by rail. And the opening of the Olympic Loop Highway in 1931 was another boost. 
giving those logging companies access to huge tracts of Douglas fir and Sitka spruce trees. And now park tourism is a booming industry for them. Yeah, there are lodging options, restaurants, a surf shop, etc. We've only stopped at Sully's Drive-In before. It's one of those typical old-fashioned drive-ins where you can get, you know, the hamburgers and the milkshakes and that kind of thing. And it's been a while, but I remember that being very good. Yeah, so from this area, there's a couple of different options. One is you could go about 15 miles west. Essentially, you hit the Pacific Ocean. And so there is a long strip of land along the Pacific Coast, which is the National Park. So you're going back into the National Park right there. There's some great beaches. Yes, you've got Rialto Beach, which is very popular. And you can hike down a mile and a half to the Hole in the Wall. You also have a few other beaches there. First Beach, Second Beach, Third Beach. First Beach is on the Quilut Indian Reservation, but you can still visit it. And Second and Third Beach require a short hike to get there. Now, the thing is, with all of these beaches that we're going to mention in Olympic, none of them connect to each other. So you basically have to drive to different parking areas, access the beach, go back to your car, drive to another one, because there are, what, headlands that come out, there are rocky cliffs. So for most of them, now some of them, there are some overland trails with ropes that you can kind of scale these headlands. But most visitors, you're going to want to drive from parking lot to parking lot. Yeah, and some of them are sandy. Well, most of them have areas of sand, but there's also areas where you have really rough rocks, right? I mean, this this is not Southern California. <laughs> right. You're not, you're not, you know, getting out your lawn chairs and, and working on your suntan. This is, <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty rough along the Pacific Coast in Olympic National Park. It's definitely rough. And you want to watch out for your kiddos here because there are, huge um, tides. And one thing they that the park warns visitors about are these huge logs that come in on the waves. And you should see some of these logs laying on the beach. They are these massive timbers that, you know, if it hit a human, that would be it. Right. And of course, it's a bigger danger at high tide. There are sneaker waves and riptides. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of areas where it's perfectly safe, but you just just got to pay attention. Right. And definitely go at low tide. Check the tide. And someone asked us, how do they know what the tides are? And that's actually a really great question. A couple of ways. When you stop at any of the park's visitor centers, you can ask and they will hand you a piece of paper with a, with that week's tide chart on it. Or if you have cell reception, you can Google it and it will come up. Um, you want to put in the name of the specific beach Also, at the trailheads for some of these beaches, they have the tide chart posted. That's not super helpful because you're already there, and it would be good to know what the tide is before you go. Right, and the thing about the tides is they're estimates. (laughs) I mean, they they don't, like, if it says the high tide's noon, it's in and around noon, right? Uh, But also the thing that's useful about the tide tables, it will tell you, how high or how low the tide is. So there's, you know, not every high tide is the same height. And so if there's a really big high tide when you're there, just you'll you'll know that. And there might not be any beach there if you're right there at a high tide. Right. And that's a good point because if you look at the tide chart and you see an extremely low tide, that usually means really good access to tide pools with all the little creatures and the and the starfish and things like that. That's typically at the really low tides because you have to walk pretty far out amongst those big rocks to, to find those. That's right. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right, so we're going to move on from the beaches for a minute to the rainforest, and then we'll come back to the beaches because there are some more beaches further south. Okay, so a little bit further south on 101 from Forks, there is a turnoff to the east to the Ho Rainforest. And that the name of that road is the Upper Ho Road. And then on that road, it's 18 miles to the visitor center and a very large parking lot there. 
There is a ticket entrance booth there just before you get to the visitor center. And even though the parking lot is large, it fills up really quickly in the summer. And we have heard from many people that they literally waited in line along that road for many hours to get in. So our suggestion would be if you're there in the busy summer months, go really early in the morning or maybe go in the late afternoon. I think midday is probably the worst. I think showing up around 10 a.m. is going to be the busiest time. The reason this area of the park is so crowded is because it's one of the best and last sections of temperate rainforest in the United States. It gets about 140 inches of rain a year. And this, of course, makes everything green and mossy, as you call it, Karen, an enchanted forest. It is magical. And Matt, do you know where the name Ho comes from? Uh, It's probably not what I'm thinking. (laughs) So why don't you tell us? It's definitely not what you're thinking. On the Olympic National Park website, it says that the word ho is a Native American word, possibly from the Quileute Indians. And one theory is that it means fast-moving water or snow water. And that makes sense because you've got the Ho River right there. But the other possibility that they mentioned is that the word ho translates to, quote, Man with quarreling wives, unquote. So I was right. It was what I was thinking. Man with quarreling wives. Wives is plural. Yes, wives is plural. That's that's his first mistake. (laughs) Okay. I like these little short history channels. Yeah, it's kind of fun, isn't it? And look what you just learned. So there's a couple of things that you can do from that parking lot. If you're just there for a little while and you want to take an easy hike, you can go to the Hall of Mosses. And that's, we did that recently. We did that a a month or so ago. That was a lot prettier than I remembered it Mm -hmm. uh, from, I don't know, 10 10 or so years ago. Uh, That's beautiful. However, you can also hike the Ho River Trail. And if you wanted to, you could take that all the way up to Blue Glacier, which is a spectacular site. We saw that Blue Glacier from the Seven Lakes Basin when we were doing that backpack trip. But hiking up to Blue Glacier and back would be 37-mile round trip, obviously. That's a backpacking opportunity. Right. And you do need to reserve campsites ahead of time. So if that sounds like something you want to do, make sure you look into the campsite situation. We have hiked the Ho River Trail about five miles or so. So if the Hall of Mosses isn't enough for you, because that's a pretty short, easy trail, then hike however long you want along the Ho River Trail. And that's a beautiful hike as well. All right, so back on Highway 101, we're going to continue south, and the next thing of interest we're going to get to is the Ruby Beach area. Yeah, Ruby Beach, I think, is probably the most popular beach to visit in the park because it is absolutely beautiful. But they have then other beaches that are just named. One, two, three, and four. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I think they gave up on the beach naming process because you have beaches like Rialto and Kalaylock and Ruby, and then you have beach one, two, three, four, and first, second, and third beach. So I don't know what happened with the naming process, but yes, very close to Ruby Beach is Beach 4, which we just explored uh, in January of this year. And there is a small parking lot there. And we loved Beach 4. We liked Beach 4 better than Ruby Beach. <laughs> uh, not the Ruby Beach was great. Right. Uh, but Beach 4, it just seemed the access was easier. There were no people there. Right. Uh, we had, had the place all to ourselves. Now, again, we did this in the wintertime. So it was, you know, cold and Uh, a little bit windy, but we were all bundled up. It was beautiful, though. Yes. And the other beaches, Beach 1, 2, and 3, we have not been there. Those do not have a parking lot. There is a small sign, and there are some pull-out spots along Highway 101 that you can pull over. Now, just note that most of these require either a short or kind of a longish hike to the beach. You're, You're not pulling up right to the beach for those. Right, but you can, just a little further south, go to the Claylock Campground, and you can park at the campground and get down to the beach and walk along the beach there. And there's an interesting site 
to see along that beach called the Tree of Life. And this is a tree. I don't, what, what kind of tree is it? Sitka spruce. It's a Sitka spruce. And it grew up right on top of a little drainage that comes down from the hills right above the beach to the beach. But its root system spreads across this ravine. So it essentially looks like it's almost like it's hanging in the air, straddling this ravine. It's pretty remarkable. It is because all of the soil around its roots washed away decades ago, but the tree has not died. So it sits up on this bluff, you know, you'd be standing on the beach looking up at it. And it is remarkable to see this perfectly healthy tree with this massive root system and no dirt surrounding it just suspended in the air. So definitely stop and see the tree of life. And please remember, I have seen photos of people who climb on the root system and and they get their photos taken sitting on the roots. That's that's a no no. <laughs> probably probably shouldn't do that. It's, right. it's a pretty delicate right. uh, plant. Probably can't take too many people climbing on it. Now, one thing to note also: Kalaylock Campground, where you access this, sits right next to Kalaylock Lodge, where we just stayed in January. A great place to stay. They have cabins up on the bluff. But the thing is, all of these access points that have the wooden stairways down to the beach, because all of this is up on a bluff, these storms pummel those staircases and they wreck them or they wash them away. So it was kind of disappointing when we stayed at Claylock Lodge. Basically, the staircase down to the beach had washed away and they have it closed off. So to access the beach, we had to go over next door to Claylock Campground. And that wooden staircase down to the beach was kind of half taken out also. That was kind of a trick at the very bottom to climb over the the part of the staircase that was left. The whole center section was missing and there was mud and rocks and uh, that was sketchy going down also. So anyone with, with limited mobility would not be able to do that. Hopefully the Claylock Lodge is going to get a new staircase put in. I don't know if they, can they not do metal staircases there? Would they rust out? I, 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 I do not know. I, I don't know either what why they keep putting in wood and then the wood rots and washes away. But hey, what do we know? We're... <laughs> we, we don't know anything. We're... <laughs> Maybe we can cover that on our med- medical podcast that we're going to start. <laughs> right. But we really enjoyed Claylock Lodge. We would recommend it. We had a darling cabin. It was a darling cabin, yes. Mm-hmm. Darling. Yes, it was darling. And it's a good location to visit the beaches and to visit Ho Rainforest and Quinault Rainforest. And we enjoyed it in the wintertime just for one reason is there were no other people. Right. Not, not that, you know, there's it's fine to have other people around, but... A lot of these places we went to, there are a lot of times we were the only car, literally the only car in the parking lot. Yeah, so it's kind of a treat in that regard. So continuing south on 101, you're going to come to the turnoffs for the Quinault Rainforest area. Now you can turn east on either North Shore Drive or South Shore Drive. They join together to form the Lake Quinault Loop Drive, which is about a 31-mile loop. Right. So if you don't have time to do that, you can just turn on the South Shore Drive and stop at the historic Lake Quinault Lodge and maybe go for a short hike. There are a lot of great trails. There are some easy trails like nature walks. And there's also the trail to the Enchanted Valley, which has been in my bucket for quite a while. Yeah. So that's just yet another access into the park where you can do uh, some some great hikes, some short ones, or if you're doing some backpacking, you can do much longer hikes like the Enchanted Valley. Right. And this area is less crowded. This Quinault Rainforest is less crowded than Ho Rainforest. So if you find yourself in, in a backup traffic jam trying to get into Ho and you don't have time to wait, you could uh, make a U-turn and, and head down to Quinault and see that rainforest. So if we took the road back to 101 from the Quinault area, that's kind of the end of our loop. Now, there are other parts of Olympic National Park, but they're just not on this loop. So you have the whole east and kind of southeast part of the park. There's roads over there, too, campgrounds and great hikes, but it's not on this loop. Right. So we're going to move on. 
And you would continue south on 101 till you get to the little town of Aberdeen. And that's where you get on Highway 12 to Olympia. And we have heard from a lot of people who have a goal of visiting all the state capitals. So if that's something that you're interested in, Olympia is our state capital. And you'll be going right through it. You go right past it. So you could stop and and check out the state capital from Aberdeen. Olympia is about 50 miles. Right. And there are tours of the capital you can do. Just look up online. I saw, I think there are, are tours every day of our capital. So you can check that out. This is right on your way to headed to Mount Rainier National Park. Right. So we're going to c- continue on to Mount Rainier. And we would suggest because the roads, the roads get smaller and there's a few different ways to get to the park. So we just suggest you map your way to Ashford, Washington, and this is just outside the Nisqually entrance to Mount Rainier National Park, and this is in the southwest corner of the park. Right. And just to give you a rough idea, from Olympia to Ashford, again, there are some different roads you can take. It's about 70 miles ish. It's going to take you around 90 minutes to get there, just so you kind of have a, a time frame there. But before you head into the park, you're going to want to stop at the Copper Creek restaurant at the Copper Creek Inn. Right. We said in the previous episode, I would talk about baked goods. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, we haven't this, had any yet. This might be my only baked good <laughs> recommendation. We've been to the Copper Creek restaurant for both dinner and breakfast mm-hmm. a couple of different times, and both were really, really good, uh, especially that breakfast that we had pancakes and sausage and I think probably a, a cinnamon roll. Also, when we had dinner there, uh, I don't remember what I had, but I remember it being really, really good. And also they had homemade blackberry pie. Yes, that's their signature dish. And they also have blackberry syrup and blackberry vinaigrette. And the last time we were there, they were actually bottling some of those things and selling them. They had a little tiny retail area so you could take them home with you. But do not miss this stop. It's a fantastic little restaurant. It's quaint. It's charming. Um, it's it's high on the Darling scale. Yeah, it's right. It's right on the road. Right. It's right on the right. road you to can't. the Nisqually entrance of the park. That's right. So you, when you go into the Nisqually entrance, you're driving a few more miles into the park to what's called the Longmire District. And the Longmire District has the National Park Inn. I love the name of that inn. <laughs> I know. It's the National <laughs> Park Inn. It's a little lodge there. Yeah, it's tiny. Now, it's not one of the grand lodges that you know many of us have seen, but it is historic. Um, it's a charming little place to stay. It also has a, a general store right next to it, and close by is the Wilderness Information Center. Yeah, do we? Do you know anything about uh, those buildings there? Like the, <laughs> do you know any of the history of, the, of that area? Karen? Well, since you asked, Matt, remember Mount Rainier became a national park back in 1899. It's one of our oldest national parks. And Longmire was the park headquarters at the time. Now, this site had previously been James Longmire's homestead, lodging, and Mineral Springs Resort. So he had a little lodge there and some hot springs that you could soak in. Now, even though park headquarters are no longer at Longmire, the original 1916 headquarters building is still there, and it houses a museum that tells the story of the early days of the park. And if you walk through this Longmire Historic District, there are lots of older buildings. I think there's some park employee housing there. And you actually walk back to the Longmire Suspension Bridge, and that's a really cool thing to see. Yeah, it's actually still working suspension bridge. You can mm-hmm. actually drive across it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a beautiful bridge. We've been there a few times when it's snowing. And so it's very picturesque. Oh my gosh. It's like something out of a fairy tale. It looks like, um, I don't know, it reminds me of something you'd see like one of those uh, German castles, you know, like the German, drawbridge. German <laughs> castle drawbridge. It reminds me of a suspension bridge in the trees, uh, like in a national park. That's okay. what it reminds me of. All right. But if you want to catch a glimpse of what Mount Rainier looked like in its earliest days, definitely stop at the Longmire District and take a, take a look around and take a little walk. It's definitely worth it. Okay, so from that Longmire area, 
we're heading up into the park on the park road and about four miles up that road and we're going east there is Christine Falls. And that's a beautiful waterfall. It's off to the left side of the road. So if you're driving east, there is a little parking area after you pass the falls, which is where you want to park. You do not want to stop on the road right in front of the falls. That's a kind of a hazard area. And to really see this waterfall, which is one of the most picturesque waterfalls we've ever seen, there's a parking area and then you walk down on a trail and you're actually looking at the part of the waterfall that is falling underneath the bridge. It's a stone bridge. It's absolutely beautiful. And you might have seen pictures of it, but that's how you get that photo. You have to pull over, stop and walk on the trail to the viewing spot. Yeah. A lot of people stand on the bridge, on the road, take a picture of the falls and they don't realize that that that's not the good picture. Right. You got to <laughs> climb down and essentially get under the road. Yes. And look back up to the falls. You wouldn't think just by looking at it from the road that that would be a good photo, but it is once you get down mm-hmm. there. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. All right, so now we're headed up to Paradise, the most visited area in the park. And there is a reason it's called Paradise. This area sits at an elevation of 5,400 feet, and it has stunning views of Mount Rainier and beautiful wildflower meadows in the summer. And Paradise, when you get up to this top area, it's about 19 miles from this southwest Nisqually entrance of the park. Karen, did you know that Paradise is considered the snowiest place in North America? It has an average yearly snowfall of 670 inches. But here's a fun fact. In the winter of 1971-72, Paradise got 1,122 inches of snow. Wow, Matt. That actually was a really fun fact. Yeah, so fun. There's also up there the Henry M. Jackson Visitor Center. It's a very nice visitor center. It's a beautiful visitor center. There used to be kind of an odd-looking visitor center up there, very modern. I I don't know. Didn't it kind of look like a spaceship? Yeah, it's kind of a 1960s <laughs> architecture, yeah. uh, spaceship-like. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I think it got taken down. It was probably built in the same era as the Kingdom in downtown yeah. Seattle. Yes. Yeah, I've been taking down those buildings and putting up uh, more functional buildings. So this is a beautiful visitor center. It's got a little snack bar in it. Gift shop. Yeah. But Karen, tell us about the Paradise Inn. The Paradise Inn might be, I don't know, it's hard to its hard to choose a favorite of all the historic park lodges, but it's definitely in the top five. It's in, so, your, it's yeah, in your it's top five? Yeah, it's in the top five? five. Well, you know, you've got the got the old faithful lodge we should do one have we the done top- one on the park lodges? <laughs> i think we have this is, this is episode 111 and i don't remember what i had for lunch yesterday so yeah we probably did it three times we did probably all right so the paradise inn it opened for business in july of 1917 with 37 guest rooms and a dining room that would fit 400 guests now one of the cool things about this inn there's a lot of cool things but a German carpenter stayed in the inn during the winter of 1919. It's kind of like the movie The Shining, where the caretaker is stranded in the hotel all winter while the snow piles up outside. You know, Paradise Inn is closed during the winter, and they don't shovel it out. So every time we're up there in the winter, it's buried in snow up to the dormers on the roof. But anyway, I digress. So this German carpenter, whose name was Hans Franke, he was there in the inn during the winter of 1919, and he built these massive cedar chairs and tables. He built a piano and an ornate grandfather clock. And what's really cool is now, more than 100 years later, those pieces are still there in the huge lobby great room. And you can you can sit at the table in those chairs and you can see them. People are actually playing that piano. It's, it's very cool. Yeah, we've played cards on some of those tables many times. Yes. And again, it's one of those lodges with the massive timbers on the inside. The timber used for the interior of the building was cut from dead Alaska cedars that had been killed in a fire in the Silver Forest just below Paradise. And they were hauled by horses to the construction site. So those massive timbers are still in place. And even if you don't have reservations there, which are hard to get, 
you can go in and sit in the great room. Um, there's a little place where you can buy some snacks, you can buy a beer. Uh, so definitely, you know, check out Paradise Inn. Now those 37 original rooms, uh, we've stayed in those before. Mm-hmm, several couple, times. Yeah, a couple, at least a couple times. <laughs> they're not They're not big. Uh, they're, they're, well, tiny. And they don't have bathrooms. Most of them don't have bathrooms in the room itself. You have to go down the hall. And some of them are so tiny that they only have one twin bed. Now, we haven't stayed in those, <laughs> but we've stayed in in a room that has two twin beds. And that is like, you open the door, there are two twin beds, and that is it. The good thing about these rooms, I know a lot of people do not want to have a room without a private bath. We get that. These rooms are much cheaper than the newer rooms back in the annex. So there's a big building, that, there's a walkway that you walk through to the annex. Those rooms have bathrooms, they're a little... They're newer, they're more modern. So you can certainly stay in the annex. You're going to pay a lot more for your own bathroom, but for a lot of people, it's worth it. But I do think those original rooms, you know, they have the the ceilings that are pitched in some places and low in some places. I thought they were really cozy. Yeah, I don't mind going down the hall in the middle of the night and <laughs> You made, the bathroom, I think you made make, some friends. Make, making friends <laughs> out there. Uh, yeah. And what's funny is, you know, a lot of times you'll see hikers who just come into the lodge and they use the bathrooms and or like they're getting ready, heading out for an early morning hike and you're in there brushing your teeth. So it's a very community feel. <laughs> That's right. Because it's the same bathroom that anyone who's visiting the lodge, whether you go in for a drink, it's the same b- big bathroom. And so, yeah, you might be standing there in your pajamas and slippers and a, and a hiker comes in. You know, I just think it's it's part of the experience. And I, I don't mind staying in those rooms. In fact, we kind of look for them when we try to book a room up there. Yeah, but you do hold it all night. Well, sure, because my bladder isn't the size of a peanut. <laughs> a peanut? A walnut? A peanut with the shell on it, like 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 the Mr. Peanut peanut or just the peanut that's on the inside. What, what exactly? You know what? Let's just move on. Okay. Ed, edit this out, All right. please. Okay, and just briefly, a few things to do when you're at Paradise, when you park and get out of your car. There's an easy half-mile walk from Paradise into Myrtle Falls, a beautiful waterfall. There's a bridge over a stream. There's the view of Mount Rainier. There are wildflowers. This Myrtle Falls has a lot of bang for the buck. But also, one of our favorite hikes to do when we're in that area is the Skyline Loop. It's about six miles round trip. It's, It's a loop. Uh, about 1,700 feet elevation gain, but I got to tell you, it feels like more than 1,700. It does feel like more than that. Beautiful hike. Again, incredible views of Mount Rainier. So if you have the time, and obviously it's going to take you a few hours, uh, do the do the Skyline Loop while you're there as well. All right, let's keep, keep on moving. If we continue east on the park road, it's called Stevens Canyon Road. It takes you down to lower elevations, and then we're going to turn left or north on Highway 123. Right. Now, just know that, you know, this is one continuous drive all the way through the park from, we're taking you from the southwest entrance up to the northeast entrance. However, last summer, the park closed a big section of Stevens Canyon Road, Mondays through Thursdays, for this huge road construction project. And I believe it's going to continue in the summer of 2023. So check the road status before you go, because if it's Monday through Thursday and this Stevens Canyon section is closed, you're going to have to backtrack from Paradise, go back outside of the park, go to Packwood, and go in the southeast entrance from Packwood and go up from there. Yes, that's a hassle and you know it's going to be extra driving. But the good news about that is if you do that, you're going to go right by the Ohanapakosh area. And there's some cool things to do there as well. There's a visitor center. Yeah, there's, there's some- a visitor center. There's uh, campground. Uh, it's also there's trailhead for some interesting hikes. I think we we hiked a trail from that campground to the north along the Ohana Pakash River, 
And those were some beautiful views and, and hand-hewn log bridges over different, like, little almost waterfalls. Well, yeah, and you pass by that beautiful Silver Falls, and that's another great thing to see. So, you know, a lot of cool spots in Rainier to check out when you're there. But we're going to continue heading north. As you're making your way up 123, you'll come to Highway 410. Don't take 410 to the east you'll want to head north on 410. And that will take you to the turnoff to the sunrise area of the park. And this is a dead-end road, and it's only open from around July 1st through sometime in late September or early October due to the snow and the fact that they have to clear the road. So if you're there before July 1st, there's a good chance that the sunrise area, the road up to sunrise and sunrise is not going to be open. It's about 6,400 feet elevation there. It's the highest point in the park that you can reach in a vehicle, uh, and it has a very different feel. Great views of the mountain and a lot of trails, but really by the time you get to the parking lot, you're about at tree line. Yes, it's definitely more open, but right. I think because of that, the views of Mount Rainier are stunning. It's almost like it's in your face. Do not miss sunrise if the road is open. You know, there are a lot of great hiking trails up there, but even if you don't have time to hike, you want to take that road up there and just take in the view. It's that incredible. Yeah, one of my favorite hikes from there is the Mount Fremont Fire Lookout. Now, this is a popular trail, but pretty much the trail is open, meaning you're out of the trees and you have these great views of everything around, including Mount Rainier. Uh, it's a historic fire lookout. It's not actively being used, uh, but when we've been up there, there's a ranger or sometimes a volunteer ranger that talks about the history of the place. You can climb up into the lookout and see the inside and kind of walk on the balconies around it and get great photos of the area. Right. And that's a really popular thing for people to do at either sunrise or sunset, mostly sunset, I believe. Because it's a fairly easy trail to navigate with a headlamp, which is what you would be doing on the way back. Another hike that we love up there is the Burroughs Mountain Trail. And there's the first Burroughs and second Burroughs and third Burroughs. You can hike as far as you want. But again, you are hiking towards Mount Rainier and it, you are looking at it the entire way. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. And you just go down that trail as far as you want. It's, if you do the whole thing, it's fairly challenging. It is. There's yeah. a lot of elevation gain on that one. Yeah. There is a visitor center up there, a very big, nice visitor center. And there's also a day lodge. Now, kind of the interesting thing about that is there were plans for a lodge up there, you know, a, a real lodge where people could spend the night, but it was never completed. And the only section that was ever built has been turned into the Sunrise Day Lodge. So there is food available in there. There is a gift shop. But unfortunately, there is not a lodge up there that you can stay in. Okay, so uh, let's head back down that road to 410 again, and we're going to continue north on 410, exit the park through the northeast entrance. 410 will take you to the little town of Enumclaw. Yes. You're, you're heading back to Seattle. Right. Either to the airport or if you're planning to visit Seattle. But from Enumclaw up to wherever you're going to go, we suggest you map it with whatever device you have because there's a lot of different roads you can take. And depending on whether or not it's rush hour, you definitely want to look at your app to see where the, the least traffic is to get to where you're going to go. There is another section of Rainier that we love, which is the Mowich Lake area. It has great hiking too. This is not along the loop. This is entered through a different section of the park to the northwest. So this would take additional time. If you're interested, um, you can look, uh, look that up. And I believe we also talked about that in our Mount Rainier episode, which is number 41. So that wraps up our loop, our giant loop of the three Washington National Parks. Now, if you're not doing the first section that we talked about, the, the Cascade Loop, and you're not going to go to North Cascades National Park, maybe you don't have time, then what you're going to want to do is when you get to Seattle and, and SeaTac, you're going to want to take the Bainbridge Island Ferry from downtown Seattle over to the Olympic Peninsula. There's no need to go all the way to Whidbey Island. 
You don't need reservations for that ferry. There are frequent sailings, and that's going to be the fastest way to get across to the peninsula. Right. And from Bainbridge, you can drive up to Port Angeles and then do the rest of the loop that we described. So, you know, what you're going to want to do, because obviously everything that we have talked about in these two episodes would take a long time to do, especially if you want to do some of these longer hikes. So, you know, you're going to have to figure out where you want to spend your time. And maybe you cannot do all three parks on one trip. I think each park is so unique and each park you could easily spend three to four days exploring the entire park. So, you know, if you want to do, do this whole loop, like two weeks would be probably what you would need, don't you think? That's right. I mean, we've lived here for over 20 years and it's taken us a long, long time to hit all of these different areas. And there's still a few things left in these parks that we haven't done that are still on our, our to-do list. So, yeah, it's it's tough to get it all in in a short-ish visit from another part of the country. But these loops, they'll give you a good taste of the, the parks and, and what they have to offer. Right. And from driving time alone, if you are not a hiker and you just want to, you know, look out your car window and see these sites, which is fantastic, and you want to maybe stop at some coffee shops and some scenic overlooks, then I think you could do it absolutely in a week to 10 days. So it would be shorter if you're not a hiker. But as always, you know, the great thing about a road trip is customizing it to what you love to do. That's right. And and the discovery of places. We can tell you places to go and, you know, what to check out. But you're going to find places on your own that we didn't mention. And that's great. Every time we take a trip, we find new places that we never, we've never heard of. And, and that's part of the uh, discovery of a road trip. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in. And a big thank you to our patrons who support us on Patreon and make this podcast possible. Yes, thank you very much for supporting us. If you'd like to see photos from the places we talked about, make sure you're following us on Instagram. Every Thursday, we showcase the new episode and post photos and videos there. You can find us at Matt and Karen Smith. Yes, and we will be back at the end of March with a brand new mailbag episode. You know, it's weird. Don't you think that ambulatory should mean, you know, someone who needs an ambulance? Instead, it's the opposite. I don't think that makes any sense. You're, you're asking me? Because, yes. <laughs> you know, I wasn't the one who came up with the name. Okay, well, I'm just going to go on record and saying it's wrong and it's confusing. And it's wrong and it's confusing. <laughs>